Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And again, every week we say this, if you have questions from things that you've read or just questions that come to mind as you're reading along or listening along with us, please first off write them down so you don't forget them, uh, but also send them into us. You can send them into infogrove.church. You can Facebook message Evan. You can do all the other things. You can uh, tweet me if you want to, Pastor AA, hashtag follow me. I'm just kidding. Um, Twitter's not really relevant. Anyways, but we love to answer these questions and we look forward to the last Friday of every month taking some time to answer the questions you send in. So keep sending them in and thank you to those those of you who have sent them in. Yeah, thank you. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and dive into this week's Bible talk. Uh, so but the book of Proverbs. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about King Solomon, and we introduced uh, the book of Proverbs. And uh, we said it last week, but I'll reiterate it. It really is an, an easy read in yeah. the sense of you can sit down and, and understand most of what you're reading. It doesn't take a lot of um, of extra things, I guess, to be added onto it. So uh, this week, I just put down, I think it's four. Uh, one, two, three, four. Yep, four, because I... Uh, Lucky I counted four. beforehand. Uh, but yeah, just as I was reading through, these are just the ones that stood out to me uh, as I was reading. And so, like I said, for everyone, those will be different things because the Holy Spirit convicts on different things for uh, for different people. Uh, but to kind of go through, and Aaron, feel free to share any of your thoughts as we're running through. So uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And I think it's just... Uh, it's just such a powerful lesson that I think all of us need to need to make sure that we learn. But the idea of if if you're so confident that what you're doing is the right thing and you never listen to the advice of others, the Bible says that well, that, that's the way a fool you're acts. A fool. Yeah, that the way a fool acts is to say, "I'm doing this. I don't care what anyone else says." But a wise man listens to advice. Here's the funny thing, though. Like I read this or I listen to it, and I, I yeah, like I just read the same. It's like, well, yeah, duh. Like, come on, like. This is such an easy thing to remember, but I also look back on my life. I'm like, oh, whoops. Even even what like a week ago, whatever. I can I can definitely if I if I spend time thinking about it, where am I not listening to the the advice of others? Right. Where am I not inviting that counsel and that perspective? So, and that's not to say that every piece of advice you get you should listen to because there's a lot of bad advice yes. out there too. Um, but if you're living your life just based off of what you think and you alone, and you're not listening to it, particular people uh and particularly people in life like in my life uh like my parents um are huge as far as like advice goes um pastoral leadership things like that obviously me and my wife walk through all of this together and so it's not necessarily saying like opening it up to everyone who ever says anything about you listen listen to to all of it yeah you have to be smart with who you ask and who you seek advice from i mean there's wisdom in a lot of counsel but there's also understanding who's the right people to ask yeah exactly so moving on uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse one says, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Um, and so this is one that, it's funny because like today, this doesn't convict me very much. Um, but I think back to teenage Evan and it's like, sometimes I just want to go back in time and punch that kid in the face. Yeah. And so, um, I do think there's just, there's just something to be said for it, particularly like, um, if you're, if you're a young person listening, but even it goes into, um our older age, um, so often our, our parents, we forget that 
they just know more based off of the fact that the amount of years that they lived, that they yeah. lived. And not that they're necessarily, again, not that you necessarily listen to everything. All of us have different parents and different levels of trust going on there. Um, but it's saying, you know, a wise son hears his father's instruction. Or in other words, he doesn't just blow it off and say, okay, whatever, whatever dad or whatever mom, whatever you're saying, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. And I think the older we get, we look back at kids doing that now and we're just kind of like, oh, if only you knew. Yeah, and I would even, I, I even look at it and understand it from a lens of maturity, not age, because I think we can all agree there's a lot of immaturity. I'm 35 years old. There's a lot of immaturity in me still. Oh, yeah. So it's not, it's not a sign of age just because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I have a son, so therefore I'm wise. No, it's a sign of maturity. Am I scoffing at, at people's advice or perspectives, or am I actually trying to listen and understand and learn? Uh, because that's the difference. Proverbs is a really good book of wisdom, and wisdom is a sign of maturity. Uh, and so am I like scoffing? I, I mean, how many times have I scoffed at an idea or, and it's like, I literally have this picture of someone scoffing and I, and I think it's very easy to look at a, a generation of young people. And I would even say like, there is some, some tension that needs to be addressed and brought up on a regular basis for anyone, but even demographically young, like teenagers, there's going to be a day when these, this generation's adults and men, like they're older. And I was going to say men, but men and women and but there's just that that play too as well. It's 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 a maturity issue, uh, and this generation like you can't get offended by someone saying like you're just immature. It's there's some truth to that. Your brain's not fully developed. Let's just go there. Right. <laughs> but the other side too is like you got to listen, you got to learn, and try and lean in and learn. Yeah, and I think no matter what generation you're you're in, uh, if you're asking advice from the next generation up, they're gonna they're gonna know things that you don't know. Because even then, like right now, I can speak into a teenager's life pretty effectively. Yeah. Um, but if I'm getting advice from people who are in their like mid thirties to forty, like someone your age, um, you know, things about life you that I don't, age, you're not 40. So, so I didn't mean I'm to, I didn't yet. mean to infer God that. Is good. I'm not there um, but yeah, obviously you're in a different season of life. You mm-hmm. have kids, um, me and my wife are, you know, we're not in that point yet. And so there's, there's things that you can speak into my life that I would be, I would be foolish to yeah. scoff at and not to listen to. Well, and also don't underestimate the value of listening to those younger than you too. Yeah, that's true. Like maturity, like learning and wisdom comes from uh, listening to advice but also being willing to be humble enough to recognize Gen Z can teach millennials something and millennials can teach Gen X or something. Gen Xers can teach it's a builders boomers? something. I think it's builders than boomers. Oh, all um, of them. But like we, this is the beauty of the body of Christ. We all learn and lean in together because we can all learn from each other. So. Yep. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 moving on says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, and it's funny, this is one of those ones that's just in my head. Like when I was reading through Proverbs, it just like, as I looked at the page, I, my eyes instantly went to it because I just recognize it. Um, I don't remember if it was in junior Bible quiz or this not, so but true. it's possible. But uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where, and it's something I've had to learn um, really the hard way. Um, so I've, I've kind of mellowed. I forgive you, Evan. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've mellowed out in my old age of, of 26. And Thank I guess, you, Ashley. And, and marriage has probably done a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I've just realized like, man, looking back, there's so many times where I was just harsh for the sake of being harsh or because I was frustrated and I didn't take the time to actually get control of my emotions really quick before I reacted to something. And really what this proverb is saying is that, um, if you want to escalate a situation, the easiest way to do it is to just be harsh right away. But a soft answer, uh, turns away wrath. And I can even think of instances where, um, um, like I've, I won't like, 
I've gone into meetings heated, for instance, and then if the other, if the person on the other side is just calm and loving and says like, Hey, I get that's what you're thinking, but here's where I'm like that sort of thing. All of a sudden I'm instantly diffused. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it a soft answer turns away. Unless rap. you're really immature and arrogant like me, or if someone's calm in an argument or I go in heated and they're not, they're calm, then I get mad. Don't you I'm sorry. I'm sorry, me. Cassie. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's I'll just, better. <laughs> that's just one of those quick proverbs. That's, it's just a really helpful for life in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then finally, and this one's a little bit less practical and more on the side of just uh, philosophical to think about, but Proverbs 22 verse two says the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. Or in other words, um, regardless of where you stand in social status, remember that God is our maker. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't made ourselves and that all of the different things that make us uh, great, for lack of a better word, here on this earth, all of the wealth and the success and the fame and all these different things, um, eventually when we're standing before God, none of that stuff matters. It's going to be our relationship with God. So it's just a good thing to to keep in mind there. Yeah. I love it. And I I think keeping with the wisdom literature, uh, jumping into the new Testament with James, um, it's, I love to read the book of James and I know we highlighted a little bit last week. Uh, but I, I just, I think there's so much power and simplicity for you. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've told when I was a youth pastor telling students, Hey, you should read the book of James. And it wasn't because I thought that they were unwise, but it's because I thought that we can all use more wisdom and James is pretty straightforward. Uh, and so just keeping with the theme of Proverbs a little bit and keeping with James as a wisdom, New Testament book, uh, there's just one verse that I want to take out of not context, but take out of the passage and say for a moment and highlight, it just says this, but most of all my brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. And I love the picture and I hate the picture of this because it's literally for me, it's let your yes be yes is another way it's translated and your no be no. How easy it is to make a promise and to make an overstatement thinking that we're, we'll be able to follow through, but we don't follow through with it. And I think of the word integrity. I was talking to someone today. Uh, it's actually a, a, a lady who cuts my hair and I was just talking about integrity and the idea of follow through. All it is is follow through. If I say I'm going to do something, do it. That's called integrity. If I don't do it, then it shows a lack of, of commitment to follow through. Or if I can't accomplish what I'm going to accomplish, at least communicate to who needs to be communicated. It's not going to happen. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times this convicts me and myself, like me and of myself, because it's in my, in my letting my yes be yes. Am I following through with what I'm saying? I'm going to follow through or my no be no, because then I, I won't stand condemned either way. But it's, I think sometimes we get in the concept and, and the mindset of why well, I want to, I want to please this person. And we lose sight of, of really our responsibility uh, as followers of Christ. And so the integrity piece, the, the challenge there in James, uh, again, there's so many different moments where James just throws a line in there and it's just kind of like, wait, 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 what did you just say? Uh, and I think this one can glance over pretty quickly too. So Yeah, it's really good. I think um, when, I, when I was a kid, I, I believe it was my dad, it might have been my mom, but one, one of my parents uh, was explaining that um, when you have to promise to make people understand that you're going to do something, that means that your your word has just been cheapened. That means it doesn't mean anything anymore when you say that you're going to do something. But which we is, think that it's actually reinforcing how trustworthy our word is. Right. It's so kind of like saying, um, it's kind of like starting off your story by saying it's a true story. Like it might be true, but it's it almost does the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. Right. Um, and so it is something for for us as Christians to strive for. Strive for that when when we say we're going to do something, people don't think like, well write it down or promise me or whatever it is, but they just know, no, I know Evan, I know Aaron is a man of his word and he's going to, 
he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Uh, but moving forward this week, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, it's it's one of my favorite ideas, I guess. It's kind of interesting because it's not necessarily like, here's a scripture, um, but it's more of kind of an overarching theme of the Bible. But in, in Psalm 149, I'm just going to read here a little bit of it, starting in verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with a tambourine and the lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats, the two-edged sword in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and the punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of irons, to execute the judgment written, this is honor for all the godly ones. Praise the Lord. And I want to focus on the first half of that psalm here for a little bit. But I think that it's there's something special about the fact that over and over again in scripture, God actually commands us to make music. Um, and it, so a few things I want to talk about when it comes to that. Number one, God is the ultimate creator. And mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting that he takes pleasure in us as humans also creating. Um, and obviously we can't create things to the same degree that God creates things. We're not going to be able to make new planets and galaxies and all these different things. But That would be awesome, though. That would be super cool. Uh, but God has wired us all with creative gifts. And, he, and, and, and particularly with music here, he's saying, you know, exercise those things. Sing a new song. Or in other words, don't just like repeat. Not that there's anything wrong with like older psalms and psalms and hymns and all these different things. But like continue to make more music. Um, and it reminds me of uh, this Eric Liddell quote, and I, I, I cannot for the life of me figure out if it's a real quote or if it's just in the movie, but even if it's a movie quote, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever heard, so I'm just going to run with it. Um, but Eric Liddell, for those of you who don't know, was an Olympic sprinter in, I believe, 1919. I think that was the year. It might have been I before that. Then, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I was. So, um, but anyway, uh, so way back in the day, he was a deeply religious man. And in fact, he refused to run on Sundays because that was the Sabbath and that was the Lord's Day. Um, and there's there's a point where he's faced with um, the choice of, does he want to be a missionary into, into China, which is actually what he ends up eventually doing later in his life. And he actually dies there during uh, World War II. Um, but really incredible story. Read about Eric Liddell. He's an amazing man. Um, and then, but at the same time, he has this incredible gift of running. And he says, um, I know God created me for a purpose, uh, but God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And the idea there is, is that even just the exercising of the gifts that God has given us, we can feel the pleasure of God when we're doing that. Um, and maybe it's not music. Like for me, I'm never going to be able to sing a song never going to be able to please write don't. a song just please yeah so maybe i can make some things song. rhyme and uh, other people can put music to it i don't know um but there's there's other ways that i get to use my gifts um to glorify god and even like something as simple as being able to do this podcast and just being able to talk about like you know i, I love learning and i love teaching it's just one of my great passions in life and so and i would say gifts yeah and, and it's just one of those things where when i even when i'm doing this or when i get to speak or when i get to talk to people about jesus all these different things i can i can feel the pleasure of god uh when i'm doing those things yeah. and i would encourage all all of us out there um you will experience incredibly deep joy when you use the gifts that God has given you for his glory and not for your own glory. 
Um, and I think that's the powerful thing about, uh, t- to bring it back to Eric Liddell for a second, that's the powerful thing about his story is that he continually points to God. And then even after he, he goes to the Olympics, he ends up winning and all these different things. He dedicates the rest of his life to going to an unchurched area and, and trying to bring the message of God there. And, and for us today, um, it would just be a real shame if we let our gifts terminate on us instead of always having them point towards God the way that they were intended to do. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's really easy to get caught up in the pleasure that we experience and mis- misassociate it, misappropriate it to be, well, this is what I'm created to do, and we remove God from it. I think there's more fulfillment and more life and vibrancy uh, when we when we use our creative ability. And so the, the, the challenge and the question becomes is like, what did God create me to do creatively in worship to him? And again, we've already said it, like there's so many different expressions of that. You can't compare to them one another, but you've, you've got to ask, actually ask the Lord, Lord, what do you, what did you create me to do? And invite him to help reveal that to you. I think it's so beautiful and so powerful. Um, and you know, to, to kind of continue forward in this week's reading and highlights, uh, I want to highlight a passage of Luke in chapter 12 that I love. Uh, for me, it's it's been a very stal- strong stalwart. I oftentimes refer to it in Matthew because Matthew uh, shares the same uh, conversation with Jesus. Uh, but in Luke, it talks about uh, this idea of worry. And I was, I've been reading in a new translation this last year through the Bible because uh, I try and mix it up every now and then because I don't want to become stagnant. And the, the translation I've been reading this year has been the, called the Christian, Christian Standard Bible. And uh, the heading that this this section of scripture falls under uh, caught me, caught my eye as I was kind of combing through, Lord, what do I highlight? Uh, and it just sim- said simply this, the cure for anxiety. And it caught my eye and kind of resonated with me mainly because I feel like, and I know this because I, having worked with students even recently and still having my, you know, my, my hands a little bit in student ministries and working with, you know, our, our you know, our youth director right now and uh, just working through different conversations and just still trying to meet and mentor with some young people. Uh, anxiety is such a big deal. Yeah, it is. I mean, I was literally just, you know, texting some of my buddies and talks, texting a couple guys and they're talking about, man, this, this thing is bringing me anxiety. And it's not to say that there's a fix that you'll never be anxious again. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's really about a focus uh, of, of how and where are we focusing in the midst of our anxiety. And so this passage, I want to take a few moments uh, and highlight for you uh, real, real quick. And then uh, I just think it's, it's such a, a challenging thing for us. But it says this, then he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have a storeroom. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Notice the focus of that passage. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? God feeds them. And so this says this, can you add one moment in this li- to this life by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? And then he continues on, consider the wildfires, how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And all of Solomon's rich richness and wealth and prosperity, he was not as dressed or wonderful as, as the, the the flowers of the field. It says this, if that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? You have little faith. Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, Don't and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your father knows that you need them. And he says this, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given, provided for you. 
don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. And I love the way that he says that. It continues on to sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old uh, and store for your treasure in heaven because uh, there your heart will be also. But I love that he says, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. And our anxiousness I have found through conversation and in my own life is often tied to things that are external, things that are and we, we may not be worried or anxious about where we're, where our next you know meal is going to come from or where you know where we're going to live and put our head. I mean, we'll have moments of that, but they may not be as such a high, intense anxiousness and moment for anxiety like it was in the New Testament era. But there's other things that we wrestle with as well today. And I believe the same answer and the same focus should still be applicable. The cure for anxiety is Jesus. We we know we say that about everything. And if we're not focusing on Jesus, it's because we're oftentimes focusing on other things. And I have found we're worried about relational. We're worried about people accepting us because we want to belong. We're worried about uh, a paycheck determining our success or providing for us. And we're losing sight because of these things upon God, who is the source of everything we need. He alone is the cure. And it's it's so for me, it's not necessarily just this quote unquote fix. Well, how do I fix myself? You don't. You, you admit your need for Jesus and you let Jesus' word wash over you and and establish every step you take. Uh, and so I just love the, the picture for this passage in the, the version I was reading specifically just talked about the cure for anxiety and seek first his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Verse 31 again, and then I'll finish. It says this, and then verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. I think our anxiety is often tied to fear of something and we, and we have fear of something, it's because we're losing sight of who God is as our provider and our source. Right. And I think it's it's one of those things that's uh, it's beautif- beautifully simple, if that makes sense. And not simple in the sense of it's easy to do, but simple in the fact uh, that it's easy to understand in the sense of it's just changing perspective. And that change of perspective helps us out, helps, helps us out incredibly. I got this, um, uh, just this, this mental picture of... Uh, I remember like one of the times I was most scared as a kid um, and it obviously just sounds really dumb now, but you know, I was at the store and I walked away from my mom and all of a sudden I couldn't find her. And I was like, Oh no, this is it. Like, this is where I lose my parents and I end up in an orphanage. Like all this, you know what I mean? All the thoughts running through your, uh, however old I was four or five at the time. Um, And so I'm just freaking out, right? All these different things. But if I just had the perspective of like, you know, zoom out, I'm okay. My mom's looking for me. Like they're going to call on the speakers or whatever it is. It's just being able to, um, in a sense, change your perspective from where you are in that moment to almost God's perspective and to look at it through through his eyes, the way he sees things. And all of a sudden, uh, the fears and the worries and the anxieties of this life just kind of begin to fall away because they really, at the end of the day, they all pale in comparison to uh, to eternity. Well, and I think it's also, like. um, I think, and I, and I forgot to mention this, but I think it's also a rhythm. It's a, it's a habit. It's a practice. Yeah. It's not a, okay, God, I'm fixing my eyes on you this one time and I'm good. It's, in every moment of high anxiousness and every moment of anxiety, whether it's uh, a procedure that has to happen or whether it's a, a, a payment that has to be made or it's, you know, a relationship you're, you're, you're expecting to, to be an encouragement and an affirmation, whatever, whatever the source of that anxiousness, it's again, in those moments to remember, God, you're the source. I'm going to remember your kingdom and your promises. And I mean, go back to conversation we had last week about persistent faith. Um, I just think that there is that beauty and that tension 
of a habitual lifestyle and practice and rhythms. So. Right. Um, and so our final book that we're going to talk about today, uh, we're actually going to start up the book of First Peter, uh, which comes right after James. And so uh, just to kind of introduce that one a little bit, uh, it's written by the Apostle Peter. So it, yeah, yes, that Peter is the one who, who writes it. Uh, it's about AD 64, so this is a later epistle, uh, and this is actually written- The letter's a- AD, not 80. I yeah. heard 80 at first. Oh, The no. number 80. No, this is not written, what was that, 6,000 years in the future? Yeah. So, uh, in Anno Domini 64, uh, it's written by the Apostle Peter about the same time, actually, that Paul is writing his final letters to Timothy and Titus. So, um, this is all during the reign of Nero, who is- um, I mean, really, he's just one of the worst people who's ever he's a nice guy. Like Nero's the worst, and he's so he just—he uh, had a lot of power. Addictive, there's some cruel, evil. Yeah, there's some evidence that he uh, he went mad at some point, um, and eventually he's he's so bad uh, his own his own people assassinated him and threw him out. So worse than Sauron. Worse than Saur- Sauron. I love those movies um, and the books. I was going to say Voldemort at first, but I remember Lord of the Rings is a reference we have to make. So. Yeah, exactly. Who cares about Harry Potter? Potter? Harry Potter is dumb, and that's a stance I'm taking, and I'm sure we'll get emails about that. You're going to so. get on that one. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Peter is writing this letter fully understanding, much in the same vein as Paul, that um, there's this incredible wave of persecution against Christians that is has been there for a little bit, but is, is beginning to be ramped up. Um, and a lot of this happens under the reign of Nero. And in fact, during the reign of Nero, um, a lot of people thought, oh, here's the Antichrist. Uh, here's like, boom, this has already happened. This is exactly who it is. And so all these things are happening. Uh, Peter most likely wrote this letter from Rome. Uh, and so just for a little bit of church history, when Paul writes the letter to the Romans, uh, there most likely is not a strong figurehead of leadership there in the city. Um, but later, both Peter and Paul actually end up in Rome. Peter ends up in Rome as um, really just the pastor of the church there. And then Paul ends up there uh, most of the time under house arrest. But a prisoner. Yeah. But at the same time, like what an incredible um, period to be in Rome where and it's not for very long. It's for a few years. But both of these um, really titans of the faith uh, being together and yeah. this thing and, and like – like Luke, for instance, had he could go talk with Paul for a while, and then he could go talk with Peter about whatever they're thinking about. I don't know why I'm struggling to remember this, but isn't that Peter and Paul were on a missionary journey at one point together, and then they mm, broke off, right? No, uh, Paul and Barnabas. I think is what you're thinking. Okay. I don't think it's Paul and no, Peter. I'm wrong. So I could be. We're going to delete that from your memory. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, and so uh, Peter writes this letter. He's really encouraging. Um, churches in uh, what we call Asia Minor, so kind of Turkey area, if you're, if you're thinking in your head of where it is there. Um, and this letter is pretty interesting because it is it is clearly meant to be a, uh, a letter that's distributed. And so, again, with some of the letters of Paul, some of them are written directly to, to the church and such and such, where some of them are written to larger areas. Uh, this one is definitely written to a larger area, and Peter's really just writing to encourage Christians about this, this wave of persecution that's going to come. And we know historically um, – Christianity really did not become an accepted religion in Rome until about uh, Constantine. And so it's, it's going to be a few hundred years. Um, not not all of that is extreme persecution, but a lot of it is. Um, and at the very least, a lot of it is at least just not persecution in the sense of like they're rounding them up and killing them, but persecution in the sense of, uh, you know, you actually have to make social sacrifices if you're going to publicly declare that you're a follower of Christ. So just a little bit different. Uh, yeah, just a little bit different. Um, but anyways, Peter 
gives four important challenges that I think really speak to us today. And so we'll, we'll wrap up with this. Um, and as you're reading the book, keep in mind, because you'll, you'll see where he's saying this. He's saying, as Christians, it's important for us, especially during these times of persecution, to number one, be holy. And what he means by that is not be perfect, but he means, you know, live up upright lives as much as possible. Like, you know, follow the commands of God, live a life that is that is righteous. Number two, love one another, which I think not just during times of persecution, obviously these all apply at all times. Um, but it's just an important thing for us to remember, particularly as Christians that we're called, uh, we're called to love each other. We're not called to uh, be angry or be spiteful, you know, assume the best in people, show love to people, all those different things. Like yeah, we not love on our own terms. Yeah. Like we said in Proverbs, you know, even uh, the simple, uh, a harsh word turns away, no, sorry, a, a soft word turns away wrath, all of those just, you know, important things to keep in mind. Uh, number three, just continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus, continue to grow, um, as, as Christians overall. And then finally live as priests. Um, and what he means by that is, and this is an idea that really gets talked about in Hebrews a lot. I don't think we highlighted it too much, but, um, just the idea that because of the work of Jesus, we no longer need a high priest, uh, to be our intermediary or a mediator between us and God. But now, uh, Jesus is our mediator, which yeah. means we can have direct relationship with God. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago Do we? about okay. Jesus as the high priest and how we, he relates to us. But yeah, so it's just an important thing to uh, to keep in mind. And so I think for uh, Aaron, do you have anything else you wanted to you wanted to add there? No, you stole what I was going to say. So. All right, my bad. I echo and ditto everything I've just. I echo your echo of my echo. Thank you. Bro. Um, <laughs> so that wraps it up for uh, another week of <laughs> Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. Uh, you can find all of our other resources and podcasts at our website at grove.church. Um, and do us a favor, leave us a review on whatever device you're listening on. It really helps get the podcast out there and grow this community of people who are uh, all reading the Bible together. That being said, we will uh, see you all next week.